All right, please take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of First Chronicles. First Chronicles and chapter number 16 today. And I encourage you to, if you have a Bible near you, to open to First Chronicles 16. We'll also put the scripture on the screen as we go through this this morning. First Chronicles chapter 16. As I shared with you last week, we'd been, we've spent the last few months going verse by verse through the book of Romans. So uh, we've done a bit of time travel here in our Bible, and we've gone from the book of Romans all the way back to the Old Testament for these last two weeks, uh, really following the theme of Thanksgiving. And I'm grateful that in America we still, even today, we still have a day that our nation sets aside and recognizes as a time to give thanks. And we as believers, we know that that thanks and gratitude is directed toward God. And this passage in 1 Chronicles 13 is a national hymn for the people of Israel. Now, the context, in fact, let's look with it. Let's look again at kind of the set for this. And we looked at the first section of this psalm uh, the, the last time we were together, and we'll look at the second section today. But here in First Chronicles 16, notice verse number 1. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he dealt to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. And he lists now in verse 5 these names of all these singers and, and praise musicians. Asaph, the chief, and next to him, Zechariah, Jeel, and Shimaramoth, and Jehiel, and Mattathiah, and Eliab, and Benaiah, and Obed-Edom, and Jeel with psalteries and with harps. But Asaph made a sound with cymbals. Benaiah also, and Jehaziel, the priests, with trumpets, continually before the ark of the covenant of God. Then on that day, David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. So if you remember, the scene here is the ark of the covenant. And as we said last week, the ark of the covenant was that central piece of worship furniture that was in the tabernacle and the temple. This was the, the box that the staves were put into, and it has those angels, the cherubim on the top. And many, most, people are, most people are familiar with at least some concept of the Ark of the Covenant just due to pop culture and the mystery surrounding all of that and movies that have been made and whatnot. But we know the Ark of the Covenant has been lost to history, uh, to antiquity. It's, it's most likely been destroyed. But at the time, at the time of this writing, at the time of this scripture, the Ark of the Covenant, it is symbolic of the very presence of God. It was the centerpiece of their worship, 
and the glory of God would literally descend on this Ark of the Covenant. Well, David found out, David found out that the Ark had been, the Ark had been stored somewhere very far away. And in fact, the, the people had not, um, they had not had the Ark as part of their worship. And there's a whole story about that. But now it was time to bring it back. It was time for the worship of God to have all of the glory that he deserved. And so David said, bring the ark. And he said, we're not just going to, we're not just going to, you know, bring it in some unceremonious way. We are going to put a worship service together like you've never seen. And they had a parade. And they are just, that they've got the ark of the covenant, they've got all these singers and there are just, I mean, it's hard to know exactly how many people are here, but we have just the record of the leaders. I mean, there is a loud procession of musicians and singers, and then Asaph, who's the worship leader of it all, he's like, where are those cymbals? Give me those cymbals. And he would go, and I don't know what they sang, but as they go and the trumpets are playing and the sound, he's, Asaph is just crashing those cymbals as they come to give glory and praise to God. And listen, the people of God have always been called to be a jubilant people. Yes, there is a time for weeping, there is a time for sorrow, but there's also a time for joy and laughter and dancing, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us. And that is exactly what was taking place. It was time to worship the Lord. And then David wasn't letting Asaph lead the way. David said, I'm going to lead this procession. And he takes off all of his kingly garb and he just he goes in front of the Ark of the Covenant and he leads the people and he's dancing with joy and praise in front of all the people. You can read about it in the previous chapter or two, how exciting this is. But it wasn't without critics. It was his own wife, Michael, who didn't like the way that David was worshiping God. She didn't care for the manner in which he worshiped God. But that didn't slow him down. He just praised God and worshiped God. And listen, if you find joy and you find pleasure, not in yourself, but in giving glory and praise and honor to God, don't let anyone talk you out of that. Don't let any critic slow down your song or rob your joy in the Lord. And so the people go on with the procession. And so we looked at the song. Um, in verse number seven, he refers to this as a psalm, and I shared with you last week that it's actually a compilation of three psalms from the book of Psalms. But now we come, I want to skip down, if you would, with me, all the way to verse 23, because we looked at the previous verses last week. So we'll pick up the third and fourth stanzas of this song that King David wrote. So 1 Chronicles 16, now we're down in verse number 23. We're in the middle of the song, picking it up midway. Verse number 23. Would you mind reading this out loud with me with a little bit of enthusiasm? Ready, begin. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation. Verse number 24. Together. Declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. I want you to notice, first of all, in these two verses, that the praise that we offer God, it contains a message. When we praise God, we communicate something. We don't just utter, we don't just utter meaningless words. We don't just 
utter emotion, but there is a meaning to the message of our praise. And first of all, I want you to notice this. It says, sing unto the Lord. It is a musical message. You'd be astounded how many times in the scriptures we are commanded, not suggested, not, uh, well, this would be something to think about, but throughout the scriptures, we are commanded to sing to God. Not only are we commanded to sing to God, but in the New Testament, we're commanded to sing to one another. You say, well, well, I don't know, Ethan, it's 2022. I'm not, I'm not all about being commanded to do anything. How many of you, you know, you're, you know what I'm talking about? Like, all of the, get this now, I, whether it's the Ten Commandments, or whether it's the commandment to sing, or we'll look at some more commandments later on, did you know this? That every commandment God ever gives us is for our good. Everything he asks us to do, whether it's with our bodies, whether it's with our minds, every word that God has given us is, every commandment is for our good. He knows that not only does our singing bring glory to his name, but it does our soul well. It does our soul well to worship. And you may have come in today, and you may have come in with a burden in your life, or a difficulty. You may have come in, you're struggling with something. It could be a relational struggle. It could be you struggle with an addiction, or you've got an illness in your life. You've just got some pressure that is on you. Can I say there is something about shutting everything off in life and just singing to the goodness and the glory of God. Sing to the Lord. I love that testimony that Aaron shared as we sang that old hymn from the 1700s, Come thou fount of every blessing. What a testimony that the man's life, even we think of like olden days that people didn't deal with some of the same things we deal with today. But the story of this man whose life was transformed when he gave his heart to Jesus. Over, over well, that was over 300 years ago. Or something like that. I'm not, I don't, I'm not good at math on the spot. All those years ago, we'll go with that. All those years ago, I mean, he struggled with addictions. Some of you, that was your story. And Jesus set him free. And you know what the Bible says? David would say this. He hath put a new song. Where? In my heart. What kind of a song? A new song. Because life had been changed. You study all of the revivals throughout history, at least in the English-speaking world that I'm familiar with, all of the revivals of history have brought the church new music. The days of the Reformation, there were new songs that were written. The days of the Great Awakening, that was a hymn we just sang from the Great Awakening. The Second Great Awakening and Fanny Crosby and the Great Missions Movement, more music added to the church. Even in some of our generation, there was a move of God in different denominations in the 60s and 70s. There was music that came out of the Billy Graham Crusades. There was music that came out of California when God was changing hearts and Chuck Smith and the, the Jesus movement. All this music was given. Why? Because when God is doing something in people's lives, they want to sing about it. Because we are a singing people. And if you say, well, I've never really felt like a singing person. The closer you get to Jesus the more he puts a song in our hearts. It's a wonderful thing. It's a musical message. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Not only is it a 
musical message. It's a, our, our praise is to be a daily message. It's to be daily, each and every day. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation, each and every day. Each and every day we ought to praise the Lord. Each and every day we give him glory. Because it reminds us that our lives are not about ourselves, but they are about a greater purpose, being connected to the one who created us. It's a musical message. It's a daily message. And then I, I love this. It's a salvation message. It's a salvation message. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Show forth from day to day. You look with me. What is it that we're supposed to be proclaiming? What is it that we're supposed to be celebrating each and every day? What is it? Salvation. Salvation belongs to our God. I am thankful. I am so thankful that despite the fact that I am a sinner, despite the fact that I have broken the commandments of God, despite the fact that there was a time in my life where I was under the condemnation of my sin, I am thankful that I am saved. I'm saved. Saved is not an outdated term. It's a biblical term. It tells us that we have been redeemed, we've been forgiven, that heaven is our home, that the blood of Jesus still has power to cleanse and forgive even the worst sin. I am saved, 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 and that is something to sing about. Just as I am, I come broken to be mended. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. I'm welcome with open arms, praise God, just as I am. And the good news is this, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, whether you're religious or irreligious, whether you're, you believe in God or you're an atheist, whatever your race, whatever your socioeconomic background, whoever you are, Jesus wants to save you. And that is the message of our praise that we, it's musical, it's each and every day, and we show forth his salvation. It's also, notice with me, a glorious message. It's glorious. Look what it says in verse 24. Declare his glory. Declare his glory. As we think of the glory of God, it speaks of his worthiness, that he deserves it. Listen, if I came up here, if I came up here, and I asked everybody to, to, I was like, you know, we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to do something a little different in church today. I'd like all of you, just let's go around the room, and why don't you say something nice about me? Let's try it, you know? And I went around the room and was like, okay, you first, now you, now you. What would I be doing? I'd be looking for glory. I'd be looking for affirmation of my worth. And you would all be sickened. <laughs> you would be disgusted. Why? Because I don't deserve that. Now, that doesn't mean that it wouldn't be good for you to come and say something nice to me or me to say something nice to you, but, to, but we understand that that would be kind of absurd. And there would be something wrong where a man or a woman is just, all they receive is the congratulation and praise. Why? Because none of us are worthy enough for that. But there are not words enough to declare the glory of God. There is not language enough. 
There have not been enough songs written to declare the supreme worth of our God. He is great, and, and we'll see in a minute, and greatly to be praised. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's a glorious message, and then look at this. It's also a gospel message. Because who should know? Who are the ones? You look at the verse. You can see this yourself. Who are the ones that should be hearing all this singing, that should be observing all of this declaration? Who are the ones that should say, wow, that guy really loves Jesus. That woman, she's really excited about knowing God. Who are the ones? Well, in this verse, who are they? The heathen, it says. Now, heathen is, is a bit of a confrontational word. It simply refers to the unbelievers. The unbelievers. Those people that do not believe in God, they ought to see the praise of God radiating from us. And unbelievers where? Dennis, I heard you say it. Unbelievers where? In all the nations. In every place. You see, the, the reason we praise God, and this is what's so awesome about a worship service, and this is why I'd encourage you to just keep doing what you do, which is sing out and praise God. Because sometimes in a worship service like this, if the church is worshiping like the church with joy and praise to God, and an unbeliever walks in, and very often people who don't believe, we don't look, we, we want everyone to come here, believers and unbelievers. We want them to see the scriptures and see Jesus. If somebody comes in and, and they don't know Jesus, what they ought to know is this wow, those people sure think a lot of their God. There's something there. I'll never forget reading an article. I'm not a, I don't subscribe to this magazine, but this was passed around the internet there was an article in Rolling Stone magazine. Again, I don't subscribe to Rolling Stone magazine. But the article was describing an evangelical worship service. This was an unbeliever who was, he was still a skeptic. But he said, when I walked into that service, he said, I understood, I understood why people want to believe this. It was almost as if he was saying, it was almost as if he was saying, I don't believe it's true, but part of me kind of wishes it was true because those people sure believe it. Now, please don't misunderstand me. We, we, don't, we believe in facts and logic and we don't just have a blind faith in the Bible. We've, we've studied it, we've examined it, we believe every word to be true and verily and amen. But at the same time, we ought, to, we ought to display our worship in a way that even the unbeliever would say, wow, there's something there. There's something there. That's why being a healthy church is so, so important. Because we show forth his praises. That's why, you know, I'll just share this with you too. When I was younger, I was a, I was a bit... Um, legalistic. And what I mean by that is I would go beyond what the scripture said sometimes. And I would get all worried about what kind of Christian music that people were listening to. Or, and I would get all worried about like, well, you know, well, they need to, they need to sing this and they need to do that. And they're, they're not doing right. And the Lord reproved my heart of it. And I got to the point where I said, wow, 
I'm pretty sure that the Lord delights in the praise of his people. And he's not appointed me to be the praise police. Not at all. And I'm just thankful. I am so thankful to see people worship God. That's what we're called to do. It's a glorious gospel message. That is the message of our praise. Let's look at the second movement of this song. It's, there's not only a message to our praise, but there's a motivation to our praise. There's a motivation. And, and we can go quickly through this because we've really keyed in on a lot of it already. Look at verse number 25. Oh, this is a great verse. And if your heart is full of praise for the Lord now, if the scriptures we've already read are just igniting again that passion for God, why don't you read this verse with me, verse 25, and read it with a heart full of genuine praise. Are you ready? 1 Chronicles 16, 25 begin. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. I love that. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Great is the Lord. His greatness and his worth. It kind of ties in with what we spoke about a few minutes ago about the glory of God. We are not singing about an experience we've had. We're not singing. Think about what we sing about in the world. We sing about birthdays. Don't you love cultural songs? If I said, let's sing happy birthday, you would all know what to sing right away. We sing about birthdays. We sing at Christmas time. We sing at weddings sometimes. We have songs for different occasions. We sing about love. We sing about pain. We sing about all these experiences in life. But listen, if there's something we ought to be passionate about singing about, it's the glory and greatness of God and his magnificent worth. Boy, and I would say to the teenagers and the young people that are here, fill your playlist, fill your playlist with music that reminds you of the greatness of God. I mean, just fill it up. You, you know, you can, you've got that, you, you've got your iTunes, your Spotify account, and you can fill that up with music about some, some girl that's mad at her boyfriend, or you can fill that music up with, uh, maybe you're a country fan, and, and uh, you know, you lost your wife, you lost your dog, you lost your pickup truck, all that stuff. You can, you can fill, your, you can fill your, uh, your, your playlist with that, or you can live your life to the soundtrack of the greatness and glory of God. Just do it. Fill it up. Talk to, talk to Pastor Aaron. He'll point you in the right direction. I know he already, he already has. But praise God. All right. That was random. Where am I now? Okay. Let's go to the motivation of our praise. God's greatness and his worth. We're doing okay? Yeah. All right. God's greatness and worth. But then we are motivated by God's supremacy. His supremacy. I love this part too. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Well, just how great? Is there any comparison? Catch what he's about to say. He's going to say this. God is more worthy than anything you value in your life. God is more value than, any, than anything. Watch this. In this day, in this day and age, people put a lot of value in their 
idols. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, literally, and this is still common in some Eastern religions, not most, but some Eastern religions, you will still find people with collections of idols. Um, it, it, and so you can go to these places, but it was very, it was the predominant religion. It was the predominant view of the world. That if you were a spiritual person, just like today, people like to say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Well, back then, if you were a spiritual person, you collected idols. Now, you might not have had the big one that went in the city square, but you had a little shelf in your house, just like how many of you, how many of you had a grandma with knickknacks? Who, who had, okay, some of you know what I'm talking about, okay? Well, in the, in the same way, it's, funny story, um, my grandma had this uh, table of knickknacks when I was a kid, and I don't know where she got it, but there was this little Buddha on there. And I was, uh, I shouldn't even tell you this story, this is terrible. I, I was like this uh, zealous teenager on fire for God, and I just, I just didn't want some idol there in that house, so I secretly, I secretly grabbed that thing. She had a bank. This is so bad. She had a banking. I took that little thing and I just went, whoosh, sailed it over the banking. I'm like, I'm like, the woman has like, Aaron, how many? Like, how many knickknacks were in that house? <laughs> so many. I'm like, she's never gonna know. She's never gonna know. She knew. <laughs> And she wasn't a spiritual person at all. But she's like, have you seen that little? I don't even know if she knew it was a Buddha or what. She's like, have you seen it? I'm like, ah, oh. You know, and then my super spiritual self is trying to figure out a lie to get out of this one, right? You see what happens there? I did fess up. I'm like, yeah, I got rid of that. Why'd you do that for? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and I just kind of walked away. Anyway, again, I digress. So you've got all the... All the knickknacks or whatever, but in, but in a more serious sense, see if we can go to a more serious sense now. In a more serious sense, the, um, the collection that they would have in their homes, especially if they're wealthy, would be, and again, I'm no expert on Middle Eastern history and archaeology, but there'd be a god to the moon, and a god to the, a god to the sun, and a, and a goddess of fertility, and a god to the harvest, and they would say, these are my gods. This is what I worship. This is what I value. And the, David says, he alone. You say that, those two words with me? What? He alone. God and God alone is to be feared. Above all those gods. Verse 26, for all the gods of the people are idols. Oh, but the Lord made the heavens. I mean no disrespect. I mean no disrespect at all. But think of it from heaven's vantage point. The God who created all things, enthroned in majesty in heaven, above all the universe, looks down and sees people take his glory and give it to a piece of wood or stone that they've engraved. Think of it in 21st century North America. The God of all creation looks down at people who put worth 
and value in their bank accounts, in their possessions, in their recreational activities and things like sports. And he looks down and he says, I'm the one who made you. I'm the one who gave you the very breath. You see, the message and the motivation, the motivation of our praise is that God is supreme above all else. This afternoon, this afternoon, many people across America will sit down and watch a football game, or seven, <laughs> however many they can fit in. Not going to lie, I've watched a few simultaneous football games myself. Yesterday, if you're a college football, yesterday, if you're a college football fan, Michigan is, was all over my news feed, it, completely. Big day. A lot of celebration. Why? People praise, people praise what is great and what is supreme. Why, why, do people, why do people go crazy at a sporting event and shout and cheer and erupt in applause? Why do they do that? Because they just witnessed something beyond ordinary. And the, mo the more beyond ordinary what you witness, the greater what? The greater celebration. When, for all of you, you Patriots fans back in the day, the numbers 28 to 3 go down in Patriots history. All right, how many of you know what I'm talking about there? Yeah, they go down in history. Why? Because Tom Brady came back from a 28 to 3 deficit in the final, how many minutes was it? Nobody remembers? No diehard fans? Travis, you know. You just, you wanted to, for, you wanted to just forget about it. Yeah. Came back, done what had never been, and I'm not a Tom Brady fan, but he came back, he did what no one had ever done before, and when you have a victory like that, it is so, a, what makes it significant, what makes people cheer more for that than just a regular game? It's because what was witnessed was so beyond the ordinary. Boy, if we can get excited for feats of human greatness, how much more exuberant our praise for the oh-so-not-normal, oh-so-beyond-ordinary greatness of God. He's just beyond anything we can imagine. But I think we, we get, a, we just, sometimes we just have a, and I'm as guilty of this as you, we get a small view of God and an inflated view of all the little idols in our lives. All the gods of the people are as idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Verse 27. Glory and honor are in his presence. What we're seeing here is God's majesty. That's the third motivation for praise. God's majesty. Glory and honor are in his presence. Strength and gladness are in his place. There was a presence. There was a place. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Come before him. Did you see back in verse 27, it said he had a place. And now it says to come before him. And look at the last line of verse 29. Worship the Lord. Would you say this, this concluding statement in this verse with me? Ready? Begin. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. 
In the days of David, there was a place that people would come to experience the beauty of the Lord. And do you know where that was? It was in the temple. Well, in this passage, the temple had not yet been built, so it was in the tabernacle. They would come to the holy place, and they would gather in the presence of the Lord, and in that holy place, they would worship God. Is there a tent or a temple today that is God's holy place? Not exactly, but there is still a place. Actually, there are two places. There are two places that the Bible describes as the temple of God today. Now, you'll have to study this and I can give you references after, but there are two places that are referred to as the temple of God. First of all, the body of the believer. I know Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit. That means that my body is the temple of God. There's a, people are starting to say that in pop culture. Oh, my body's a temple. That, it comes from a biblical concept, except it's not my temple. This body is whose temple? It's God's temple. But there's one other place that God refers to as his temple. He says to the church, ye are, and it's the plural pronoun, you all together are the temple of God. As the church, as the local church gathers together, not only are our bodies individually the temple of God, but as the local church gathers together, we are a holy temple to the Lord. And we invite his presence into this place simply by our gathering. Which, by the way, I would encourage you why it's so important that you show up as often as possible. Tonight, the temple gathers to observe the Lord's Supper. But each week, we gather together as the temple of God. It's a holy place. And it's important to remember as we pray, as we sing, that we are in a holy place. And we experience God's majesty. We've seen the message of our praise, the motivation of our praise. Let's look at the third movement. We come to the end of the psalm. And these are the mandates or the commandments of our praise. We already read these verses, give unto the Lord, give unto the Lord. This is a use of the word give, um, which literally means give him the honor that is due him or ascribe to him, give recognition to him. It's verse 28, give unto the Lord. It says glory and strength. Verse 29, give unto the Lord glory due unto his name. Honor him. Secondly, worship him. Worship him. Not just, we are not just commanded to honor in our praise, but we are commanded to worship. Do you see what it says in verse 29? Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an, what's the word? Bring an offering and come before him. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, they would literally bring an animal sacrifice or some of their food that they had grown as an offering to God. That is why you'll, we view, we don't just view the singing. By the way, when, there's a common misconception in church world today that worship equals singing. Well, singing is part of worship, and it's an important part of worship. 
But giving an offering is worship. That's why we always, even though we don't pass plates in the service, we, we, we recognize that part of worship before God. Giving is worship. Um, the preaching of the word is worship. Because what does the word worship literally mean? It literally means, it's a, it's a physical word. The word worship, this is what it means. What am I doing? Bowing down. That Hebrew word, if you told someone, bow down, you would use the word worship. If a king, if a king said to someone, worship me, that person would bow down before that king. So the picture of our lives is this. I don't just worship him on Sunday. My entire life, the posture of my life, is bowed down before him. My family belongs to him. My possessions belong to him. My job belongs to him. Every part of my life yielded to God. Bring an offering. Come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Some people, some people look at the Christian life and they, they get the wrong impression. They look at the Christian life and they say, well, this just looks like a lot of rules. This just looks like, you know, I've got to, uh, you know, say no to my identity or deny myself. And, and of course, there are parts of scripture that call us to that. But the point is this, whatever God commands us to do or whatever God asks us to deny, it is because he is leading us into a beautiful life. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, that the presence of God in our lives, a relationship. You see, as to, to borrow a, a, a popular phrase, we, when we receive Jesus, we don't receive a cold religion, but we receive a personal relationship with Christ. Do you have, do you look at church as just some religious exercise, or do you have a personal relationship with God? Can you say, I truly worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness? Worship him. And part of that, verse 30, fear before him all the earth. The world also shall be stable that it be not moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let men say among the nations, go ahead, we're among the nations. Now let men say among the nations, let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the fields rejoice and all that is therein. Then shall the trees of the wood sing out at the presence of the Lord. Because he cometh to judge the earth. This is speaking of the anticipation of nature itself welcoming the return of Jesus. Welcoming his return. It's as if, I don't know, like... I am just uh, a, literalist, a literalist enough to believe that it is possible that at the coming of the Lord, that the very trees of the earth are going to let out a noise as Jesus comes. I just am a literalist enough to believe that when Jesus returns, the ocean is going to let out a great noise. Because creation knows, in fact, Jesus would say there were people... Oh, talk about those the, 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 the praise police. There were praise police in Jesus' day. 
and these people were praising Jesus, and some of the self-righteous people says, Jesus, tell them to stop doing that. Tell them to stop doing that. And do you know what Jesus said to them? They said, if they keep silent, who's going to cry out? The very rocks would cry out. Creation knows its maker. But of all creation, of all creation, it is only humanity that has rebelled against its creator. Worship him. And then thank him. Oh, verse 34. Let's read this together too. Verse number 34, ready? Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. How long is his loving kindness, his mercy good for? Forever. forever. It doesn't matter how great your sin. It doesn't matter how much of a, a, a bad life you live. Because there is always enough mercy with God. That's the message of the gospel. It's not just in the New Testament, it's in the Old Testament. That it's not about how good you and I make ourselves. It's about coming before him and receiving his mercy and being thankful. I've had many friends that follow religious systems that, that teach that, well, you have to be a really good person if you want to go to heaven. And I've shown, said to them from the Bible, the Bible says you can't be good enough. You just have to receive what Jesus has done. And then someone said this to me. I can think of a coworker years ago. He said, well, then what would be the point of doing any good things if God was just going to forgive you anyway? What would be the point? Fair question. Fair question. That's the answer. The life I live through my actions says what to Jesus? Two little words that we just celebrated. The way of my life looks back to Jesus and says what? Some of you got it. Don't be afraid. I heard it. it says what? Thank you. Thank you. I love songs. Some of the old ones, give thanks with a grateful heart. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Jesus, thank you. Wonderful songs to say, it's his mercy. And now my life, Aaron shared that in the, in the hymn we sang today. Oh, to grace, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. It's his grace that motivates my life. And then finally, and this is a, a very important conclusion, so I'd, I'd ask you just to give this last, this last part your full attention, not just to honor, worship, thank, but trust him. Look at verse 35. Actually, let's set it up. Back me up back to verse 34. Notice, I want you to see how this happens. For thank, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his what? endures for how long? But his mercy only endures for those who will receive it. It only endures. There are many people that say, I'm a good person. I don't need your mercy. I'll do it on my own. The enduring forever mercy is only for those who can say what verse number 35 says. Because in verse 35, it says what? And say ye what? Two words, say them again. Save us. Save us. There must have been a time in your life where you came to God and said, God, 
I need you to save me. Has there been a time in your life where if you'd say, Ethan, all this sounds wonderful, praising God, the mercy of God, but I just don't know that I have that relationship with the Lord. Well, it begins with what's called a sinner's prayer, where a person simply cries out to God and says, oh God, I am a sinner and I need your salvation. You see, you might know the story of Jesus on the cross, but you might not realize what he did on the cross. When he died on the cross, he took my sin and he took your sin. When Jesus died on the cross, every sinful act that had ever been committed or would ever be committed, every sin was placed upon God himself in the form of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus took our sin and he suffered our hell when he died on the cross. Oh, but three days later, he proved that he could save us because he didn't stay dead. And on the third day, he bodily and physically rose from the dead. People complicate it. To be a Christian is very simple. Do you recognize your unworthiness? And do you believe that Jesus died not for the sins of the world, but do you believe that Jesus died for your sin? And do you believe that he rose from the dead to save you? If you add anything to that, you've corrupted Christianity. You say, well, I believe that, but I also kind of believe that I do my part, and I'll add a little of this, I'll add a little of that. The gospel is the easiest thing in the world, but it's also the most difficult. It's the easiest because all God asks us to do is believe in his salvation. But it's the most difficult because all God asks us to do is believe his salvation. That means I have to admit that I'm a sinner. Only sinners need salvation. But he says this, save us, O God, of our salvation and gather us together. Deliver us from the heathen that we may give thanks to thy holy name and glory in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Verse 36, blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. And praise the Lord. The most important thing we can leave with today, don't pack up on me yet. That was a college thing. The preacher would finish. I was in Bible college. Everybody packed up. Don't pack up on me yet. Because now, now is when the, the uh, rubber hits the road, whatever you want to say. Because this is decision time. We believe that the word of God is living, do we not? We believe that God speaks through his word. So that means when we hear the word of God, we have to decide how we will respond to it. And we always have a time at the end of the service. I hope that you take that time seriously, that you don't just say, all right, well, let's just stall for 30 seconds, a minute, until we sing the song. At the end, we reflect on the Bible and we respond in our hearts to God. If you're a believer, if you'd say, Ethan, I know for sure that I have trusted Christ as my Savior. Are you the person of praise? Do you have a passion for praise that we read about this morning? If not, then you need to take these closing minutes and you need to pray, God, just reignite that in my heart. Do a work in my life. 
Make, change me. Make me. Give me more love for you. Give me more boldness for you. You need to go out of here. We need to, Christians, we need to leave here and make that decision. But then if you're here and there's doubt in your mind, you're uncertain. You'd say, well, I, I mean, I believe in Jesus, kind of. I, I know some of the things, but let me just put it very simply. If you die today, do you know 100% for sure that your sins are forgiven and that heaven is your home? Do you know for sure? And I don't mean I hope so. The good news is this. If you're not sure, you can be sure you're saved this morning. The Bible says that anyone who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone. The Bible says that God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So I've got to ask you this. Would you make sure this morning? Let's go to prayer right now, just quietly, heads bowed and eyes closed. If you are uncertain about your relationship with God, if you are uncertain about your eternal destiny and you would like to make that certain this morning, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. There's no magic words to the prayer. In fact, it is simply, it is simply the, the attitude of our hearts. Well, if, you're, if you'd say, I want to be sure, I want to receive Christ as my Savior, you can pray something like this. Whether you're in this room or you're watching on the video, you can say, dear God, I do believe that I am a sinner who needs salvation. Lord, I believe that. But I also believe that you died for me, and I believe that you rose from the dead. I cannot save myself, and I ask you to save me. Jesus, would you save me from my sin? If you pray that or something like that in your heart to trust in Jesus, you can be sure and with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd love to pray for you. If you're here and you'd say, Ethan, I made sure today. Or if you're watching online, you say, I made sure today online. You can send a message. Say, please pray for me. I trusted Christ today. I made sure. If you're in the room, would you just, if you said, today I made certain, would you just put your hand up and put it down? Several weeks ago, we saw someone do that. Anyone today would say, today I made sure. Put my faith in Christ. Amen. Let's go to the Lord now. Christians praying as we prepare to close the service. opportunity to praise you, God, that you've called us to worship you, that we can lift our praise to you. Lord, you are, you are good. You're good to us. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve you. Yet in your mercy and grace, you give it. You give us your son. Father, I pray if someone in here doesn't know you as their savior, that today would be the day that they would put their faith in you. Lord, and for those of us who have, who have already made that decision, God, I pray that we would lift up our voices and praise that we would give our lives back to you in worship. 
In Jesus' name, amen. We've invited the kids to come and sing with us again. We're going to sing that song we sing at the beginning of the service, Rejoice. So please stand and join us. As the kids come forward, it's, just watch them as they sing this song.
Count, would you please close our service in prayer? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for the salvation you have given to us, Lord, um, that we definitely do not deserve, Lord. We just pray that we would put you first in our lives and that um, we would worship you in every everything we do, Lord. We just pray that um, you would give us traveling mercies as we go home this afternoon. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.